Good evening, church. I have been very, very blessed today to have another wonderful day of fellowship. This morning I had the privilege, and it was indeed a privilege and a blessing, to meet some brethren I had never met before down in Kosciuszko there at the congregation. And um, these brothers and sister have blessed me with being here tonight and really appreciate, uh, really appreciate your presence. And um, also then later on this afternoon, Karen and I had the privilege of spending a few hours with Larry and Rachel, and that was an awesome time, and we're very just, just overwhelmed with blessing. Um, it is just, it, it's so good to be back and to enjoy the fellowship here in Kosciuszko, and certainly there have been others in past days who have just blessed our hearts, blessed our hearts. Tonight... We are going to talk about, as has been mentioned, some 316 power passages. Now, what I mean by that, if you say 316, everybody automatically thinks of John 316, probably one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible. However, 316, and I realize the numbers and ver the verses and chapters weren't there when these were originally written, but 316, if we really explore it in both the Old and the New Testaments, there are some beautiful passages full of power and promise that are in, in essence surrounded or surrounding 316. And we talked about some of them last night. There is a sheet out there on the table. The Old Testament 316 passages we covered last night. And it includes all of these that we will talk about tonight. So I'm going to ask that you begin with me tonight by turning to Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to work our way up through some New Testament 316 power passages. Now as I said last night, 316 isn't always necessarily the verse, but it's at the heart of a series of verses wherein there are some beautiful and magnificent promises from God. When we're talking with people, especially those who believe that John 316 is all the Bible says, and, and you know who I'm talking about, right? These folks that, well, as long as I believe, John 316, that's all I know, okay? But there's so many other 316 passages that we need to share with them that explain the rest of the story of salvation. And there's so much power in so many of these passages that we need as we walk through the valleys and the struggles of this life. For example, in Matthew chapter 3, we're going to read a few verses before and a verse after. In Matthew chapter 3, Beginning at verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now what I want you to see in this passage, this is in some way symbolic. I realize it's not identical, because we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, and Jesus never sinned. But what I want for us to understand in this passage, do you see the beauty of the promise in verse 17? Right after Jesus was baptized, God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Stop and think about it. When we are baptized into Christ, what do we become? Sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. When we are baptized into Christ, biblically, for the right reasons, 
We become children of the living God. We become sons and daughters of God. Romans 8, we become heirs and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, you're not thinking. What does it mean to be a co-heir with Christ? To be a child of God? It means that everything that belongs to Christ belongs to us. Now, there's not a one of us that's worthy of that. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, that's the beautiful plan of our God and what He gives us. So when we hear those reports... And the doctor says, hey, it doesn't look good. We have this incredible hope, this no-so hope, not a hope-so hope. We're children of God. We're going home to the Father. Isn't that awesome? And so we become that when we are baptized into Christ. And this kind of shows us that same pattern or outline. Turn to me to Luke's gospel, and in Luke 3, and all of these obviously are passages in the third chapter of a lot of these, all of these references, but in Luke 3, this is another power passage. Luke 3, it's a rather lengthy reading, but I'll read fast. I've been with you all long enough so you know I can read fast, right? Luke 3, beginning at verse 7. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God's able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? And he answered and said, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Well, then the tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what do we do? He said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. And the soldiers asked him, saying, What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not... Can you imagine telling a Roman soldier not to intimidate anybody? Think about that. That took some faith and courage on John's part. He told the Roman soldiers when they came, he said, don't intimidate anyone. That intimidation is what they did. It's who they were. He said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. And the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. And John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now you say, okay, where's the power in that passage? I mean, John the Baptist, forerunner of Christ, what's that got to do with us? Got everything to do with us. The point is, we need to be bold in proclaiming the message. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be bold in telling people. One of the things I believe, as we talked about this morning in Kosciuszko, one of the things that the church is struggling with is to grow. We're graying instead of growing. And one of the reasons is because personal evangelism, we're not all doing maybe all that we can, certainly in the brotherhood nationwide, to to reach out the way we should. But when we do that, we can't be just yes men. It can't be come as you are, stay as you are, leave as you are, you're still lost. We've got to have the courage like John the Baptist. When somebody says, well, what have I got to do? We've got to be willing to tell them. And if they don't know and they don't believe what the gospel says, we've got to be will- in love. But we've got to be willing to say, no, that's not the way to be saved. Right. John the Baptist, this is powerful. What did Jesus say about John the Baptist in Matthew 11 and verse 11? He said, there has not been one born of women greater than John the Baptist. 
And one of the things that made John the Baptist so great is he was faithful and he was willing to tell God's will like it was. We need to be like that. Moving on to Romans chapter 3. And I'm not going to read this whole thing. Just going to kind of make a footnote. I was asked after one of the more recent school shootings by a lady in the congregation in Cleveland. What's, how could this happen? How could it happen that we have these school shootings? And I said, the answer is simple. Romans 3, 10 through 17. There's no longer any fear of God before anybody's eyes. There's no respect for God. That's the problem here. We've lost respect for human life with the abortions and taking God out of the schools and prayer and all of those things. We've gotten to the point where we've minimized God. There's no respect for God. People do not know that there's a God who is severe in his punishment but incredible in his love. They, they've lost sight of God. They think that this life is all there is. They can do anything they want. Nothing's right. Nothing's wrong. There is no fear of God. Look what he says here. He says... In verses 10 and 11 and 12 and all the way through 18, that describes our society today. And he says there is no fear of God before their eyes. But brethren, here's the beauty part of this, beautiful part of this. Even though humanity is in the shape that they're described as being in here in verses 10 through 18, and even though you go down a few verses and it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, guess what? God still loves us. God still wants us. God is still willing, despite all the evil that we have done, if we'll just come home to Him. God wants to take us home forever. Isn't God awesome? There's so much power in that. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? What? Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Wait a minute. God, who spoke this universe into existence in six days? God who is so holy and so pure and so righteous I can't get my mind around it. God, who had a plan in place before the foundation of the world, before He ever created all of this because He knew we were going to fall, and He had a plan in place to send His Son to be scourged and mocked and spat upon and crucified and separated from Him for the only time in all eternity. That God dwells in me? Is that what the text says? If that doesn't bring you to your spiritual knees, read it again. Now I realize that within our brotherhood there's some different discussions about all that means. But I'm going to tell you, because that's a whole different sermon and all of that. But what I'm going to tell you is this. Look, God wants and has an intimate spiritual relationship with you. Amen. With that person you look at in the mirror every morning, God loves you so much. He didn't, and I don't mean to demean what Jesus did. Don't ever, don't ever say Doug did that. Doug's not doing that. But he didn't, quote unquote, just send his son to die for you. He did it for a reason. He did it because he wants to live with you. Yeah. 
Now, I want to live with God. But the Scripture shows me that God wants to live with me. I know who I am. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I sure am grateful for it by faith. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And again, some of these passages aren't directly on verse 16, but verse 16 is at the heart of them. 2 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 5, Paul tells our brethren in the first century church of Christ in Corinth, he says, verse 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And then Paul goes on to make this comparison between the old covenant that God had with the Israelites and this new covenant that we have with God in Christ. Now, we have it so much better than they had. Aren't you glad that we don't have to come in here at night with our lambs and stuff and make sacrifices? I mean, really. And those couldn't really atone for sin anyway. We have, if you read Hebrews 7 through 10, we have so much better of a covenant. And that's Paul's point here. And look what he says. He says in verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses. Now, folks, when I study Moses, I think Moses is pretty bold. Moses um, had a wonderful thing going with God. I mean, Moses, look what he did. Look at his relationship with God. But it says here, We use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unified, I'm sorry, unlifted, in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. We don't have this veil, as it were. Because he says, verse 16, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Aren't you glad that you have a direct line to God through Christ? I don't have to go talk to some man, some mediator, some other sinful human being that's probably no different than me. I don't have to have the high priest go in once a year and offer sacrifices that just kind of roll things over and don't really deal with anything. I am a child of God because of the grace of God, and I have this direct access route to God, and that is my Lord, Jesus Christ. I'm incredibly blessed, brethren. Amen. So are you. Look at the power in this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're growing, we're learning, we're taking it in, and we are being transformed. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Every day we should becoming, be becoming, I can say this, every day we should be becoming more like Jesus. That's the whole reason that we come to things like this. It isn't for the food. It isn't for the social. It's to be fed the Word of God so that we grow and we're transformed and become more Christ-like today than we were yesterday. And then one of my all-time favorites, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I love the book of Ephesians. Romans chapter 8 is my favorite chapter in the whole Bible, but I love Ephesians. Paul, 
was talking to brethren in Christ. He was talking to Christians. He was talking to those who had repented and been baptized, the faithful in Christ Jesus. That's who the Ephesian epistle is written to. And he says, and I know I've read this already once during this meeting. Here we go again. For this reason, Ephesians 3.14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you, now remember he's talking to Christians just like I'm talking to you, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Well, wait a minute, Paul, aren't you talking to Christians? He said, yeah, I'm talking to Christians, but they need more strength. And I'm praying to God. Do you ever have days where you need more strength? I'll put both hands up on that one. Even as, you know, I've talked with some of the brethren here and we've discussed some of the hardships in our lives and some days, because we're human, life can be tough even as Christians. There are days that the world gets fairly heavy. Okay? Let's be honest. But I can't imagine walking through this life not being a Christian. I don't know how they do it. And the whole point here is he says, but Christians even need to be strengthened. So he prays they'll be strengthened in verse 16. Then in verse 17, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, watch these next two verses, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He said, hey you Christians, I am praying to God on your behalf. I am praying to God that you Christians will get some idea, some grasp, just even a little bit, that you'll get your mind around everything you can of how big God's love is, that you'll know that which you can't possibly learn. He said God's love is that big. You can't fathom it. You can't fathom how big it is. But he says I'm praying for you to be strengthened. I'm praying for you to get just a, get your mind around as much as you can of this incredible love that God has for you. Why? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know what? If you're filled with the fullness of God, that'll carry you through this life. You know, used to be a thing years ago where macho men, you know, would take the tin can and crush it, right? Thought it was really cool because they could crush a tin can. <clears throat> okay. You know, they weren't so cool when those cans were full and sealed. There was power in that can. They couldn't crush it when it was full. When we are full of God's word, this life cannot crush us and kick us around like an empty tin can. Now, it can still hurt. I could take a, a Coke can and I could squeeze it up here if it was full and I could put a dent in it and sometimes we get a dent in our armor. Yeah, we do. But guess what? Paul says in another place, we're not crushed. Why? Because we're full of God's word. Yeah. We're full of God. And Paul said, I just hope you Christians in Ephesus, I'm praying that you can get some idea of how great God's love is for you so that you can be filled with that fullness and life will not crush you. In 3.16, cool. Colossians chapter 3. I wish I had time to go through the whole third chapter of Colossians, but I don't. He says, let me start in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, 
kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. I'll tell you what, I want to be a part of that church. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Amen. You know how I can make the church I go to, that church? By being those things and setting the example and showing others how it's done. Amen. You be the change you want to see. He goes on from there and says, Above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I want to be part of that church right there. If anybody ever says to you, what's the perfect picture of the church? That's a powerful passage. But the church is made up of individuals. And individuals who want that kind of church must become that kind of Christian. Turn to me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I got one verse for you. And it's 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, guess where? Verse 16. Surprise, surprise, right? Paul writes to the church of Christ in 1st century Thessalonica, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. There's so much hurt and pain in this world. There's so many physical health problems. There's so many relationship problems. There's so many struggles and issues and problems. Seems like every time we turn around, we, you know, we don't need to turn on the news to hear bad news. Bad stuff happens to all of us. Do you need more peace in your life? There's only one place you're going to find peace that lasts. There's only one place you're going to find peace that lasts. In the middle of a church struggle? in the middle of a medical issue, in the middle of an unknown future, there's only one place that you're going to find peace that lasts, and that is from the Lord of peace. May he give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. We talked last night about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. And he said, you know what, king? We're not going to serve you. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. But even if he does not, does that sound like peace to you? You need to say, you know what? God, this is what, I'm, this is what I, I want to do. But you know what? Even if that's not in your will, your will be done. Is that kind of what Jesus said, right? Three times, prayer in the garden, right? Let me ask you a question. When Jesus came out of the garden, do you think he was at peace? I do. Well, he come out and he said, when he come out of the garden, not in the garden, not in the garden, man, that was, that, was a, that was a war, okay? But when he comes out, he says, look, my betrayer is at hand. And if you really look close at that, I read one commentator and he said, it's almost as if Jesus has now resolved himself, because he's prayed to his father three times and said, if there's any other way, but if not, let thy will be done. Okay? And he comes out of the garden, and I read one commentator a while ago that said, it's almost as if Jesus said, hey, look, my betrayer is, okay, it's time for me to do what God's will is for me to do. It's time to be obedient to my Father. This is what he wants. Okay. It's not okay 
because of the pain it's going to cause. It's not okay because of the separation from my father. It's okay because that's my father's will and I trust him. That's why it's okay. Look, my betrayer is at hand. That's the kind of peace that I want. And that's the kind of peace, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, that can only come from Christ Jesus our Lord. Because he knew what it was like to be at peace. The next passage I would have you turn to is 1 Timothy chapter 3. Don't have to turn very far, right? Paul says, writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. I did not grow up in the Lord's church. I did not grow up with any church. My wife would claim I didn't grow up, but we're going to leave that alone for a minute, okay? There's a lot of churches out there. And you take some guy off the street that doesn't know the difference, and he's not going to know that there's only one to begin with, and if so, which one do you choose? What do you do? You know, you close your eyes and you like shoot darts at a board with a thousand names on it and say, hey, that's, no. Here's how you recognize the Lord's church. It is the pillar and support of the truth. It is, you know these Corinthian pillars that you see? Well, we got pillars out there. They're not Corinthian, but we got pillars out there. But these, these Corinthian pillars that you see, hold, the Lord's church is the pillar and support. The Lord's church always holds the truth up for the world to see. The truth of God's word. That's how you can identify it. What is that truth? That truth is seen in verse 16. How God came in the flesh, how God did all of these wonderful things for us, how he was believed on in the world and received up in glory. It is the gospel message. And folks, i got to tell you, just real quick, I don't want to go too far because time is short. But when we're talking about preaching the gospel message, if we're not preaching the whole gospel message, we ain't preaching the gospel message, period. Now, the gospel message is the story of the Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Paul said, I delivered to you as of first importance. And he goes on to explain what that was. It was the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, there are a lot of religious groups that will preach that Jesus died and was buried and raised the third day. That's pretty common teaching in most churches. But that is not the entirety of the entire story of the gospel. Because we need to hear the gospel, we need to believe the gospel, we need to obey the gospel. And any teaching of the gospel that stops short of baptism or obedience to the gospel ain't the gospel. Because that's the whole story. Jesus died, was buried, and raised again, but the story of the gospel is is we need to put that old man of sin to death, we need to bury him in the waters of baptism, and we need to rise to walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 1 through 5. That's how we act out the gospel. Yes, Jesus did everything. He paid the entire price. Don't get me wrong. He did it all. But the fact is, in order to accept that gift that he did, that gift that he paid for us, we have got to go through the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the whole gospel. And the church, the Lord's church, God's church, holds that truth up no matter what. 
That's a powerful passage. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, another 316 power passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think this was one of the first verses that I ever learned as a member of the Lord's Church. And it is definitely one of the most important if you're trying to teach anybody. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, some versions use the word perfect, same difference, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want the one thing in the entire universe that can make you stand before God complete, it's His Word. There's nothing else. There's not some teaching that came along in the 1800s or the 1500s or the 1300s. There's nothing that came along after the faith once delivered, Jude 3, at the end of the first century. There's nothing else that, that came along as a new revelation. The bottom line is, if you want to know everything that you need to know about doctrine, for reproof, about correction, for how to be righteous, how to stand perfect before God, it's in the Bible. That's powerful. How many people do we have today? You ever go to any of these religious bookstores and you start looking around and you can just walk through racks and racks and racks and racks and racks and racks and racks of self-help books. All of these, well, this is how you do it and this is the No, people, I don't need all those books. This one's from God. Psalm 119 verse 89 in the English Standard Version says that God's word is forever firmly fixed in the heavens. It ain't changing. All the powers right here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.16, right? Yes. Nothing else on this planet is going to save me. Preachers. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to anybody. Preachers. Your job description is not framed by the leadership of the church you work for. Your job description is listed in the next four verses. Your job description is from God. Now, I mean no disrespect to leaders in the church. We should always obey our elders. Absolutely. That's not what I'm saying. Don't, don't get wrong what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is, is that our real job description, our contract, as it were, what we are responsible for first and foremost, God told his preachers what that is. Here it is. He says in chapter 4 and verse 1, I charge thee, you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word! God didn't put you up there to tell funny stories. God didn't put you up there to do puppets and drama skits. God didn't put you up there to lead some band on stage. God put you in front of those people to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? It means you be ready to tell them God's word when they want to hear it and when they really don't want to hear it. When it's comfortable and when it really isn't all that comfortable. You preachers know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Sometimes it's not easy to preach some of those lessons. God said, preach them. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. God gave us his word so that we would give it to them that their souls might be saved. Turn to me to Hebrews 3. Hebrews 3. 
Verse 14. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he angry forty years? Wasn't it those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. This is a powerful passage because it tells us we have to persevere. We have to persevere and we look back in the old covenant and we see how they didn't persevere. They hardened their hearts. Brethren, sometimes we have to preach and teach and hear things that are not comfortable. We do. It's not easy. But preachers are not here to make men happy. They're here to make men holy. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't make them happy, but that shouldn't be our top priority. When our top priority is making the people in the pews happy instead of holy, we ain't preaching the gospel. Amen. That's just the way it goes. And I want you to see something here real quick. Did you notice in verses 18 and 19 how obedience, not obeying and unbelief are the same thing? You know, a lot of times we'll talk about belief and what it means and what it doesn't mean and obedience and what it means and it doesn't mean. It means the same thing. The Bible defines unbelief as not obeying. In verse 18, he says, there were those who did not obey, so we see that they could not enter in because of their, he doesn't say disobedience, he says unbelief. Listen, if you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, if you truly believe there's going to be a judgment day, if you truly believe that he's coming back and he has all authority in heaven and on earth, you're going to obey him. And if you don't obey him, it must be because you don't believe him. Because if you really understood who he was, you have no choice but to obey him. Yeah. But the bottom line here is, don't harden your heart. Brethren, is it possible to be in Christ for 30 years and then harden your heart? Is it possible? Yes. Is it possible to be in Christ for five decades and then harden your heart and walk away? Maybe, sadly, some of us not. It's possible. Is it possible to be a preacher of the gospel or an elder in the Lord's church and somehow somewhere down the road become a fallen away member? Is it even po Yeah, it's possible. He said, don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. You've got to be on guard all the time. You can't say, well, you know, I got, my, I got my four decade pin in the church of Christ. I guess I'm good to go and I don't need to grow anymore. Oh, yes, you do. One of my favorites is James 3. To me, James 3, 13 through 18, is the absolute centerpiece. The heart and soul of the book of James. You want to talk about a power passage? He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. You want to know who the wisest in the church are? Those whose godly wisdom causes them to conduct themselves in Christ-like works. You remember when Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the one who serves? It's the same idea. The greatest among you, the wisest and most understanding, will be those who have good conduct, and your works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, don't lie and boast against the truth. 
This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are they. I don't want to be a part of that church. Verse 16. Where there's envy and evil and self-seeking and everybody's clawing and trying to climb the church ladder and get ahead of everybody else and trying to put themselves first like James and John did with Jesus at the table. And he says, where, where there's envy and self-seeking, people are going to do some nasty things. There's going to be backstabbing. There's going to be backbiting. Paul told the churches of Christ of Galatia. He told them not to, not to, to bite and devour one another lest they be consumed by the destroyer in Galatians chapter 5. I don't want to be a part of that church. But he says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure and then peaceable and gentle and willing to yield. Brethren, are we willing to yield? I'm not talking about on the black and white of God's word. That's not what I'm talking about. But one of the roughest men's meetings I ever was at in a congregation years ago, you know what the topic was that stirred to the point where men were pounding their fist on the table and two of them got up and left? Do you know what the topic was? I kid you not, the color of the new carpet that we were putting into the auditorium. We could talk about lost souls and new programs and all that, and nobody got too stirred up about that and got too passionate about that. But when we started talking about the new carpets that were going in, who was, well, my wife doesn't like, well, this, and it just, it blew up. Are we willing to yield on matters of opinion? Are we willing to work with each other? The, this fruit is willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruit. You know what? <laughs> I really didn't care if they put in black carpet. You know why? Because the gospel wasn't going to change. It was coming out of the pulpit. That's really all that matters, isn't it? Amen. It doesn't matter what color the songbooks are. It doesn't matter if you don't like an orange shirt. Close your eyes and listen to the message. Amen. <laughs> That's all right. Deal. If I am not speaking the truth of the gospel, throw me out the front door. But if the truth of the gospel is being taught, I don't care if you like color my shirt or not. Are we willing to yield? I would yield to you. If you say, I really hate this, say, okay, well, that's cool. Are we willing to yield? Because if we're not, and, and it's all about, well, you know, my orange shirt is the greatest shirt here. I don't like any of y'all's. No, 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 no. 1 Peter 3. Another 3.16 power passage. 1 Peter 3.15 and 16. We could preach all night on the first part of the sentence. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set Christ apart as the king of your heart. Sanctify. Set him apart. He is master. He is Lord. He is the king of kings. He rules my life. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We talked the other night about hope from the book of Romans. One of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have is when we are going through our valley of the shadow of death, when we are going through the darkest times, when the, when the sky has fallen and the floor has come out from under us and everything is crumbling in, do we still exhibit the fact that we know God? Because when people around us see that, it's going to make a difference. It makes a lot more difference than saying, Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Or, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah? Well, how come, you know, the other day when you got a hangnail in there, were you cursing at the boss? You know, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's how we respond when things go bad. Powerful passage. Be ready to give an answer. 
and a reason for the hope that is in you. Are you ready? If somebody comes up to you today and says, I've watched you. I know you're struggling with whatever, fill in the blank it is. I know that's good. How do you even come to work in the morning? Are we ready to say, because God, my God is good. And my God is getting me through this. Well, I don't know as I could believe in that God stuff. I'll tell you what, I ain't getting through this on my own, my friend. That's not how it works. You just said so yourself. Well, I know, but, you know, and, and that's kind of the way things open up. Be ready to give that answer. Second Peter 3. Fourteen, therefore, beloved, Second Peter three, fourteen, looking forward to these things. That is this new heaven and earth, this this as Peter describes it, this beautiful paradise that awaits. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, is written to you, so also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Amen. You can hear anything you want to hear if you look long enough and hard enough in the religious world today. People twist in his words, but this is what he says to you. He says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this, I've told you, he says, <laughs> I, I've told you that people are going to twist the scriptures. And knowing that, verse 17, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. If I were to ask you tonight, and I, I mean no disrespect to anybody, I'm including myself in this, but if I were asked, to ask you tonight, how many of you in the next 10 years plan to fall away from the Lord, who'd raise their hands? Well, nobody would, of course. If I had asked that question 20 years ago, in any given congregation of America, probably no hands would have gone up at all. But in the last 20 years, have there been some fall away from the church? point is, Satan is strong. He's not as strong as God. Not even, in the same, not even in the same universe, okay? But he's a lot stronger than we are in a lot of ways. And we can be led astray with the error of the wicked. It's possible. We've seen it happen. How do we prevent it? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep growing in the Word and you won't fall away. Stay in God's Word. If you stay in God's Word, i got to share this real quick. John 10. Listen. Sorry. I want to share this with you. If we, are, if we are listening to Jesus and we're following him, we cannot fall away. People say, can you fall away? Sure you can. Galatians 5 and verse 4, anybody can fall away. But not if we're, not if we're locked in on Jesus and listening to his word and doing what he said. Then we can't. Okay? Jesus said this in John 10. Beautiful promise here. It's got nothing to do with 316. I'm going to start preaching you all for long. Okay? I'm just telling you. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. This verse is not talking about you can't fall away. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is, as long as you listen to Jesus, and you follow Jesus, then you're safe. But you don't listen to him? You don't follow him? You don't learn his word? Yeah, you can fall real quick. Same message that we're getting out of 2 Peter 3, 14 through 18. We have two more. Turn to me tonight to 1 John 3. 1 
1 John 3, verses 16 through 18. By this, we know. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We're not just... We know. By this, we know love. Because He laid down His life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. For whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I want to be part of that church. Jesus said that night before he was crucified in John 13, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's not the bumper sticker on our car. It's not the cross on our belt buckle. It's not the fact that we carry a Bible to work that automatically identifies us as members of the Lord's church. He said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And he showed us what that love was like. Do we have that love for one another? We're willing to forgive our brethren. Jesus prayed on that night, headed for the cross. Father, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do we have, are we like God? Are we ready to forgive our brethren? Even the ones who say, hey, I don't like your orange shirt. <laughs> yeah. Are we ready to forgive our brethren if they want a different colored songbook? I don't care what color the songbook is or the carpet. I want to be, this is the centerpiece of John's writing. We know what love looks like. Now Jesus said, you go do it. Are we willing to wash feet? Are we willing to do the dirty work? So Jesus did in John 13. That's how he loved us. A person who will not serve his brother does not love his brother. And finally tonight, Revelation chapter 3. Beginning at verse 14. Powerful passage. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. <laughs> of course he does. He's God. Have you ever tried to keep a secret from somebody who knows everything? You can't hide things from God. God says, I know your works. God knows our pain, our hurt. He knows our works. He knows what we're doing. That you are neither hot nor cold. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you. I'm going to puke you out. I'm glad we're not having fellowship after with food, right? God says, I can't stomach you. You make me sick to my stomach. Because you're neither cold nor hot. Because you say, I am rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing, you don't know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. What's the point here? What's the power in this passage? Here it is. Brethren, there is incredible power in looking in the mirror. God said to the Laodiceans, He said, look, you think you're this. But God said, the way you see you and the way I see you is two different things. Open your eyes up and look at you like I'm looking at you. But the beauty of the passage is then this. God says, 
You know what? Even though I see you this way, if you just open your eyes and see you this way, I'll heal you. I'll fix all those things that you and I both see are wrong there. I'm willing to help you and strengthen you and empower you. I'll give you eye salve. I'll give you clothing. I'll take care of it. God said the only reason, verse 19, that I'm telling you these things is because I love you. If one of these little children in, 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 a, in a congregation like this were to run out of the doors and head right straight for that street. And we were out there talking afterwards, some of us adults, and we were standing there by some of the cars. And we had a little child that took off for a highway that had a 55 mile an hour speed limit on it. And his car's going both ways. How many of us would just stand there and just watch him go? If we heard cars coming, how many would do that? Not a one in this room. Why? Because you love that child too much to watch them destroy themselves, right? God says... I love you so much. And I don't want to see you continue to have this deceived picture of yourself because as long as you do, you can't change and become everything that you need to become. So, listen. Look at yourself in the reflection of my word and I will help you. I'll be there with you. I love you so much. I'll take care of it. I'll fix you. I'll walk with you. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants them to know that, look, I am willing here. I'm, I'm knocking on the door. I, I want to help you. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I overcame and sat down my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I could live to be a thousand years old with every other preacher in this room, and we could preach on the love of God every Sunday from now until that time, and we wouldn't scratch the surface. That's who God is. That is the God that we are privileged to have as our Father. And what I hope to do tonight is to give you a plethora of passages that the next time that somebody says something about 316, we can say, hey, yeah, but do you know what this 316 passage says? How awesome God is. Can you, could we open a door with that to a Bible study with somebody? Let me hold up a sign. They don't do it as much as they used to. Somebody hold up a sign. Hey, John 316. I got 316 on a number plate or something or a bumper sticker or whatever. Hey, did you see that? Yeah, that's really cool. Which, which one of the 35 316 passages are you talking about? <laughs> what do you mean? Did you know how many awesome passages there are? 316. Tell us just how awesome God... Well, no, I didn't. Would you like to have a Bible study and we can talk about it? That's how we do evangelism, folks. I hope tonight that you have been encouraged by the power of 316. And again, as I said, I know that when it was originally written, it wasn't broken up into chapters and verses, but there's so much awesome stuff in the Bible because we have an awesome God. Tonight as we close, if there's anybody here who has never repented and been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we stand ready to do that. If you're somebody who struggled, who has been struggling to become more of a Christian, or you've gotten off that straight and narrow path in some way, or you just need strength from your brethren, we will pray with you, we will love you, we will help you. There's some, some wonderful people here in, here in Oak Ridge. And Karen and I have been blessed to be amongst them. And I know they would study with you, they'll cry with you, they'll pray with you, they'll love you. If you have a need tonight, will you please come up as we stand and as we sing the song that has been chosen as our invitation song.